0: can 't wait for this stage of life i can 't wait for this experience can 't wait for this situation to change because then i 'll be happy like for example, maybe for some of us it's, it's we 're looking forward to that next trip right that next vacation spot and we 're counting down the days when we can hop on that airplane or maybe for some of us it 's that next job right we 're like oh i don 't like my job i can 't wait till I get this next job because when I get this next job then I'm really going to be more fulfilled, right? Or, or maybe it's some sort of relationship change that we're hoping to happen, thinking that, that oh, once that happens, then, then I'll really be content. Where we all experience this, this kind of appeal of looking forward to that next thing in life, thinking that, okay, once I get that, oh, my life's going to be so much better. Like I remember when um, I moved out from my parents' place uh, on the east side of the island. Uh, I was... Uh, I thought to myself, you know, like when I move out, it's going to be so much better. I can experience independence. I can have my own room because uh, I was sharing rooms with my brother. I could eat whatever I want. Uh, I can do whatever I want. And so I moved out in my really early 20s. I moved out to uh, Camel Side, roomed with a um, room with a friend from church, and you know, it wasn't as 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 thrilling as I thought it would be. I realized that living on my own, I have to cook my own food. And so dinner was literally on a college budget, like spaghetti, noodles, spaghetti sauce. Couldn't afford ground beef, so what do you buy? Portuguese sausage, right? (laughs) A dollar Portuguese sausage from Foodland. Like that mac and cheese, like it it was terrible. Like terrible meals I was cooking. Uh, I had to pay my own rent. uh, And I missed my mom's home cooking. I really missed it. I complained when I was at home, but I missed it when I was out of home. And so that, that next life change for me that I thought would make me happier, actually I was pretty much just as discontent as I was before I moved out. Right? And, and so we can get like that, right? We can, we can be focused so much on the next thing in life that we miss out on the joy and the experiences that God has us in our present life. The French philosopher and mathematician, his name uh, Blaise Pascal, he said it like this. He said, we almost never think of the present. I think we got a quote on it too uh, on the slide. We almost never think of, of the present. And if we think of it, it is only to see what light it throws on our plans for the future. Thus, we never actually live, but we hope to live. And since we're always planning how to be happy... It is inevitable that we should never be so, right? Because we're always thinking it's going to be that next stage, that next thing in life that's going to make us happy. Again, maybe we're looking forward to some kind of circumstance change with the hope that that's going to make us content in life, right? That's what Solomon, we read about him in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. That's what he was trying to do. He was pursuing power and pleasure and wealth only to find out that the next thing that he got didn't leave him happy for long he always needed something more and so do we right at times so did the corinthians right they were looking to change the circumstances that god had placed them in and paul's going to be encouraging them and us in this chapter not to chase after change in order to be content but to focus on and enjoy the lord so we're going to actually tackle this chapter a little differently previous chapters we're going to read the first few verses to get the context but we're going to focus mainly on verses 17 to 35 and then when we're in harbortown next week we'll cover those other verses that we don't get too much into Uh, so let's go start with verse 1 just to get the context Right, Paul writing to the church he says now it responds to the matters you wrote about it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman but because sexual immorality is so common Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except what you agree for a time, to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift. So, um, again, we're not going to cover and talk too much about this section which focuses on a lot with, with sex and marriage. If you're disappointed right next week, you get a taste of it. But just to get the context, right, here's what's going on. So this chapter takes a transition from the previous ones. So back in verse one, Paul's saying, uh, now in response to the matters you wrote about. So in the first chapters, right, Paul was addressing issues that were in the church. And only in chapter seven does he get to the questions that the church had for him. It's kind of like right, as an adult, Like, uh, if a kid comes up to you and asks you a question, right, but before you answer the question, you're like, okay, wait, let's first talk about the mess you just made in the living room. Let's talk about you hitting, you know, your friend or or your sibling, and then we'll get to your question. So Paul's saying, all right, in the first few chapters of Corinthians, there's some issues we got to talk about, right? Man sleeping with his mother-in-law right suing each other all these issues in the church all right now that we talked about that let's talk about the question that you have and the statements that you have and so what the church said he quotes it in verse one they said it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman and then paul says in response to what they said but because because sexual immorality is so common each man should have sexual relations with his own wife And then drop down to verse 7, 8, and 9. I want us to look at this. I wish that all people were as I, right, single, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am, unmarried. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Right, Paul's talking about, right, gifts, right, that it's a blessing. So he has the gift of not burning with desire, right, sexual desire. He he wasn't married. Paul wasn't married at this time. But what he's also saying, right, is if you do, marry. That also is a blessing. Both marriage and singleness are blessings. Now, first, we're like, okay, but in a first-century context, right? That'd be pretty different than what the culture would say. See, if you were Jewish or lived in Roman circles, if you were not married, that would be looked down upon. In our Christian subculture in America, to be unmarried would be looked down upon, right? I think the Christian subculture has a tendency to lift up marriage even to a place where where it shouldn't be lifted up, even though marriage is a blessing from the Lord. Of 40-year-olds, have never married. That's a record. Okay, to put it in perspective, in 1980, it was 6% of 40-year-olds never married. And that doesn't mean that they're celibate, right? No, right. They're, they're, they're doing their thing, but they just don't want the commitment of marriage. Right, so on one hand, the people in Paul's day and the sub-Christian culture that we live in lifts up marriage higher than it should be, even though it is a gift from God and looks down upon singleness. And yet on the opposite end, right, our culture that we we live in puts down marriage and lifts up singleness in a way that is sinful. And Paul is coming in and he's saying, no, singleness is a gift from the Lord. Marriage is a gift from the Lord. They're both blessings. Then let's hop to verse 17. Paul then says this, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone uh, called, while uncircumcised, he should not get uh, uh, circumcised? Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. keeping God's commands. Is what matters so in this next section we're going to be looking at Paul is addressing people in different situations and circumstances in life he first turns to the circumcised and the uncircumcised right first he's speaking to the circumcised not to become uncircumcised right either those from Jewish backgrounds or those who are converts to Judaism and Paul's saying don't undo it right don't be uncircumcised now there were medical procedures even back in the first century that tries to undo certain things. We're not going to get into it. Um, but there would be attempts to do that. And the reason why someone would do that is to be accepted into their society. So they weren't content with where they're at. And so they're seeking to be more accepted by society at large. So, so the Greeks in that time would see someone that's circumcised as kind of barbaric. And so if, if, if someone that was circumcised seek to be uncircumcised, the people would view them as, oh, okay, they're seeing the light. They're getting more intelligent. And so if you were circumcised and you wanted to fit in more with the society, you would try to get uncircumcised. And there's a way to get acceptance from other people. Right? We struggle with that too, right? We'll, we'll change who we are in order for other people to like us because we're not content maybe with how god made our personalities how god made us and so we'll alter things in order for more people to accept and like us and then paul tells the uncircumcised not to seek circumcision now the reason that they would do that right would would be to be accepted uh in in certain religious circles right this was the the problem with the galatians if you remember or They wanted to be circumcised in order to be more acceptable. They thought that by doing it, they would gain God's favor, that they would gain grace by being circumcised. But there was even something more to that with the Galatians. They wanted to get circumcised in order for those religious teachers who were telling them to do it to accept them. So both of these reasons was acceptance. They weren't content with where they were. They weren't content that God accepts them based upon Christ alone, that they were seeking to alter themselves, change themselves in order to be more received by others. And again, that could be our tendency too. Right? In order to be more liked in the workplace, more liked in a circle of friends, to be more respected, we might compromise and, and maybe do things that, that we know maybe that displeases the Lord, but we want so bad that person to like us more, and Paul's saying, "remain, remain in the situation that you're at." And then he turns to another group of people. Verse twenty, he says, "Let each of you remain in the situation in which you were called." Right. So we hear this theme over and over. Paul saying, "Stay, stay, stay." Verse twenty-one, "Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity." For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which God has called. So Paul's now right. He's addressing two groups, those who are slaves and those who are free. He talks to the slaves first. Right? And, and he tells them, right? and they became Christians while in slavery. And he's saying, right, your freedom is so much more than your physical freedom, the spiritual freedom that you have in Christ. Right? Don't let your status consume you. Don't make it your ultimate contentment, whether you're free or slave. But he's also saying this, right? If you have the opportunity, then get your freedom. But don't forget, you're already free in the Lord. And for some of us, right, we don't live in this kind of context where there's slavery, but maybe for some of us, right, we feel kind of stuck or trapped in certain situations, right? We might think that the answer to our contentment is getting out of it. We're going to be encouraged that, no, we can still experience a contentment in Christ, even while being in a situation where we feel kind of stuck where we know God called us to, but we feel like, gosh, if only I escaped it, I'd be more content. Paul states, be content, stay. But if you have the opportunity for that, you know, to to leave, then then do it, right? And then he turns to the free, right? And he reminds them that they are Christ's slave, that they're not using their freedom to live for themselves, but to live for the lord and then he warns them, right don't become slaves to men now why would a free person in first century want to become a slave well i mean they could get into debt and that's one way of coming to slavery but another way was to change their status to change your status so if you were a free greek at the time living in paul's day but you wanted to be a, a, a roman citizen what you would do is you would and he didn't have Roman citizenship. What you do is you would sell yourself into slavery in a Roman household, and then after a while you would you would make money, and then you'd purchase your freedom, and then because you were a slave in that Roman household, you would come out with Roman citizenship as a freedman. Not only that, when you come out of that slavery, any of your kids that you have will be free Roman citizens as well. Right, so there was a catch to it. So you could sell yourself into slavery in order to gain Roman citizenship. Right. For us, okay, it's like, okay, you know, what's the big deal? But for that that society, your your status was everything. Your status was everything. That's something that you would you would you would pay money for to get, that you would sacrifice for to gain that status. And Paul's saying, right, don't make your life about trying to move up the social ladder. Right, maybe some of us, right? we're discontent at the workplace or in a certain circle of friends because of our, what we perceive as our, you know, our social status. And we want to rise up in, in the workplace. We want to be more respectable. We want to be more liked. We want to be seen as, 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 as you know, just so savvy and cool. Right? And so we're willing to do things in order to, to move up that social status because we're not content with the Lord. And Paul's saying, right, don't don't chase after those things. Don't chase after them. It's not going to make you content. And then Paul turns then to the unmarried in verse 25. He says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you, do get, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean. Brothers and sisters, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as those they had none. Those who weep as, as though, though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. All right, so it's important to know the context, right, in this passage. So going back up, verse 26, because of the present distress. So during this time in first century in Corinth, there was there was a shortage of food. There was a food shortage. And so um, it was a tough time to be living in Corinth. And so Paul says in verse 25 right now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one by the Lord's mercy is faithful. I think what Paul is saying here, he's saying, he's saying this, right? He's saying, um, look, because of our current circumstance, right? It, it, it's a distressing time. It, it's a difficult time. And so think about, right, marriage, right? Is it the best time in this present shortage, food shortage, to get married? Now, Paul doesn't say this is from the Lord, right? He, he says it like this, right? I have no command from the Lord, but I give an opinion. And I think what he's saying is, look, every person's situation is different. So seek the Lord right? And if it's, if it's good and, and, and right to get married at this time, awesome, do it. But in this time of crisis, if, if you think like it's not a wise time to do it, then good, that's great. Do that, right? Just seek the Lord. Seek the Lord when it comes to this situation, because it's a difficult time to raise a family, right? Think about emergencies, right? When, when we have emergencies, like uh, in the early 2000s, when we had that earthquake on, on, on Oahu, right? Uh, we lost power. For me, I, I was living on my own at the time. When we lost power and we're like, we don't know how long we're going to have food. I was just like, you know, I'm good. I got some canned food. Like, I'll survive, right? But now, right, with hurricane season, right, for me, I can't live like that anymore, right? Now, because I have a family, I have kids, I can't say, you know, I got some canned food. I can just live off the land. I'll scrounge. I, I can't do that, right? I'm, I'm storing food and water, because I have a family to, to look after, right? And so in this time in Corinth, during this food crisis, Paul's saying, look, it's, it's a tough time, right? And to have a family and, and whatnot, it, it's, a good, it's a blessing from the Lord. And you have to consider that in this, in this current circumstance, right? Paul is saying to be wise in this situation. Again, marriage is a gift from the Lord. Singleness is a gift from the Lord. Seek the Lord. That's the direction to go. Right, Paul goes on uh, to, to describe, right, because uh, in, in, in marriage, right, uh, there's a time where your, your focus is divided because you'll be caring for your wife and the kids. But th- that person who is unmarried, right, can fully give themselves to serving the Lord. So even for me, right, I'm limited in mission trips that I can go to. I'm limited to how late I can go out because I'm putting the kids uh, to bed. Right, But, but someone that, that has a different situation as me, doesn't have kids, unmarried, right? they're, they're not, they don't have those commitments. So they're free in more ways to serve the Lord in different areas. Now, I'm serving the Lord with my kids and with my family. Right? These are different opportunities that the Lord gives. And so Paul, in verse 35, right, he's, he's sharing his heart. Right? His heart is for the people, the church, to be devoted to the Lord. Devoted to the Lord, right, as someone who is unmarried. But I think that it's just heart for the entire church in whatever situation that we're, the Lord has us in, right, to be devoted to him, to serve him, to grow in a contentment in him, and to not run away from the circumstances in life that he has placed us in. And so I want to encourage us with just three ways that we can grow in this contentment in the Lord, in the place where God has placed us in. Whether, right, as Paul talked about, whether a slave or free, whether circumcised or uncircumcised, whether married or unmarried. How do we grow on this contentment? Well, first, it's this it's focus on the mission. Back in verse 17, Paul states, right, that, that our situation has been assigned by the Lord. Assigned by the Lord. Right? We weren't randomly placed in the situation that we're in right now, the life stage, the life circumstance that we're in. God has placed us ultimately in it. And if we see that as mission, okay, God's placed me in it, and I'm to serve, in it, serve him in it, that changes the way we see our situation. No longer is it, all right, God, I can't wait for me to get my new job. But it's, all right, God, right now I'm in this job you have me in. What do you want me to do? How can I serve you? God, I'm in this circumstance. I can't wait to get out of it. Instead, no, God, you, you have placed me in this circumstance for this season. How can I best love the people in it? It gives us purpose. It's kind of like shopping, right? Imagine walking into Costco or Walmart and you have no plan. I'm just going to go shopping. I'm just going to walk in. Or right? you end up buying a billion things you don't need, right? Just wandering around, right? Kind of aim purposely, purposelessly. But if you go in with a mission, like someone tells you, can you buy this for me? Or you come in to, to it saying, I need to purchase this, right? You're in and hopefully you're out, right? Because you had a specific mission, right? Paul's saying we have been assigned by the Lord in our circumstance, in our relationships, in our work, in the opportunities that he has given us right now. And so what that has us do is it has us to focus, to laser and focus on that situation to serve the Lord and to look for how we can bless people it, instead of daydreaming about the next stage of life. So focus on the mission. God has assigned us that circumstance. The second is this, is to live in light of eternity. That's how we grow in contentment. Where I look back at verse 29 to 31. He says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Right? The time is short. Live in light of eternity. This world is passing away. Time's limited, right? Our circumstances, our life stage has an expiration date on it. But you know, like, I don't know if you ever had time where you clean out your fridge and you look for things that have expired. Like, so I'll go through my fridge, I'll look for sauces that are expired and just start throwing away things that expire. If I find a sauce that I really, really like, I'm going to make sure that I use it up before it's expiration date because I know I'm going to have to throw it away soon, right? When we realize that, that our life here on earth is short, right? That our time in our relationships, that our time uh, in, our, in, our, in our jobs, different opportunities that we have, when we realize there's an expiration date, I think what it does is it, is it charges us up to be more purposeful because we know that it's not going to be forever, it helps us, it encourages us to say, you know what, I don't have a lot of time at this workplace. I need to be serving the Lord. Right? In our for those of us who are married, right, we're we're not gonna be eternally married to our spouse. Marriage is a shadow pointing us right to the ultimate reality of Christ. And so that energizes us to serve in our families because we know that we have a limited time with them. The opportunities that the Lord has given us now in our communities and certain hobbies that we've taken up with other people, right, it has an expiration date. And so that leads us to be more encouraged to, to be purposeful in them and to thank God for those blessings that we won't always have. So live in light of eternity. And here's the last one, last encouragement. Growing in contentment, enjoy the Lord in your circumstance. Enjoy Jesus in your circumstance. Back in verse 24, right? Paul reminds us. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he has called. Look at that phrase, remain with God. You see that? In the circumstance. Paul said, okay, remain in your circumstance, but you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're with God god right it is relational we have his presence with us even if that circumstance is difficult even if we're not happy at our job right even if we're not happy in that circumstance the lord is right there and he's he's with us right some of us have some really challenging circumstances right we're suffering in them right and paul's not saying be happy that you're suffering right but it's we can be content even in that circumstance because we have the Lord. Were you ever at a time where, I'm sure we've had, where we were going through something really, really hard in life, but we're going through it with someone uh, that we care about? A family member, a spouse, a friend, and, and that person walked with us through that difficult season of life. And we probably would say, you know, I would never want to go through that again if I had the choice, but I grew closer with that individual because of that circumstance, right? Because we went through that hardship, our friendship got closer because we suffered together in it, right? That's our experience with the Lord. He is with us in the hardest of circumstances, the ones that we want to say, I just want to get out right now, but the Lord has placed us in it. The Lord is with us in it. And we can experience the fellowship with Christ in that suffering. I think at times we'll, we'll often pray, right, that we would enjoy uh, and have pleasure in our future circumstance. Instead of praying, God, I want to enjoy you in my present circumstance. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. He says, I don't say this out of need, but I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to do with little, and I know how to do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Man, I so badly want to say that, right? Do you want to say that like well-fed or in need, in all circumstances, the secret of contentment. Verse thirteen: I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Right? Verse thirteen is super popular, right? You see athletes quoting it, and you see it on all kind of stuff, right? And it's used in way different contexts, right? But this is the context. Verse thirteen is is is, is in. It's in the context of contentment that. In Christ, with Christ, by Christ, we're able, Right, he strengthens us to be content in him in any circumstance that we are in. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering and sorrow. But what it does mean, right, is that even in that painful situation, in that sickness or that hardship, we can have true joy in Christ. And it's going to be by Christ. And so whatever situation that you're in, that, that you're thinking, man, I just want to get out of it, but I know that God has, has me in it right now. Right? Let's go to Jesus and ask him, Lord, we want to find our joy, not in the circumstance changing, but we want a joy that transcends that circumstance and finds its, its contentment in Christ, his love for us, his presence with us by his spirit, right now in the circumstances that we're in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ, for his presence. We know we have Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. He lived that perfect life that we could never live, died on the cross for the sins that we we deserve, that we committed and rose again from the dead to give us this new life in him. And Father, we all have places where we are discontent and we're thinking that if just something changed if if only we had that thing then we'd be content. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to chase after those things. That if you were to bring them that's a blessing. But they're not the ultimate joy. But we have it already in Christ. That we don't have to find it. That we have him. We have your spirit. Dwelling in us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would grow in this contentment, in you. Pray we continue to remind us, Lord, as we take communion together, as we sing to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to have a